Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 13. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and you're listening to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu Jitsu. Live Jiu Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and the United States who offer free Jiu Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, helping to keep them away from drugs and crime and to inspire them to pursue their goals and dreams. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, geese, and tournament registrations. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donates all the profit of t-shirts and patches sales to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.liveju-jitsu.org. It's www.liveju-jitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Ben Kovacs. Ben is a brown belt in Jiu-Jitsu and is the founder of Guardian a 501c3 dedicated to providing kids in Oakland, California, free boxing and BJJ after school every day. They opened their doors about two and a half years ago, and today they have over 160 kids training 100% for free and 250 paying adult members that provide natural mentorship and career opportunities for the youth. They operate with almost a Tom's model, which is basically buy one, get one free. So every paid membership gives a youth a free membership. Today, Guardian's grown so rapidly that they're expanding to a second location in Oakland that will be 9,000 square feet and include a complete after-school program for the kids with not only the free boxing and BJJ, but also a classroom for school tutoring and advanced learning, as well as an outdoor picnic area with grills and meal planning support. Youth students can leave exercise, fed, and educated in one place with martial arts as the gateway to a complete healthy life. Ben worked at Twitter for years before deciding to leave a cushy tech job to pursue a dream of seeing as many kids get access to these amazing martial arts that had changed his life for the better. His goal is that more entrepreneurs like himself adopt this model in cities around the world and someday that every child has the chance to participate in these life-changing martial arts that have helped so many. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Gustavo. It's awesome to have you here. For people to know, I listened to Ben about three years ago on Art of Charm. is a great podcast if you want to check it out also. And that's when I heard about Guardian and I sent him a message. So we've been messaging back and forth for about three years. So it's a perfect opportunity for you to talk more about Guardian plus to inspire entrepreneurs as well. So just tell us a little bit how BJJ got into your life. I graduated uh, college from Penn State. I moved to Washington, D.C. afterwards, and basketball was really my game of, of choice. I played pretty competitively in high school. And uh, what I realized is after college, the game started to be a little more difficult to find. You'd go to the court after work and there wasn't always a good pickup game to be had. Sometimes five people would show up, sometimes 30 people would show up. And oftentimes I left not feeling fulfilled and exercised. Mm -hmm. And so one of my buddies was training Thai boxing at the Yamasaki Academy. 
he convinced me to go check it out and said I would really like it. And when I showed up there, people were doing jujitsu instead of boxing that day or at that time. And uh, I just jumped into the class. I fell in love with it. They had kind of a young, cute girl working the front desk who sort of sold me on it. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, if this girl can do BJJ, who's half my size, I should probably be able to get in there and do it. And uh, I really, I mean, I fell in love with it, honestly, from one of the, you know, the first class pretty much. And how do you feel BJJ relate to life? You know, I've said this before on other podcasts and stuff, but I feel like so many people are walking around with a a false sense of confidence. And I was Mm -hmm. definitely one of those people really played a sport that there was a lot of peacocking and um, sort of fakeness going on in basketball Mm -hmm. where there was always excuses where this guy didn't pass me the ball. This guy fouls too much. I was on a bad team. And BJJ is really one of those sports where it's there's no hiding behind anything. Right. The cream rises to the top. And you can't, you know, blame anyone else but yourself. It's up to you to, to perform and get better and kind of get out of it what you want to get out of it. And I think I really fell in love with that aspect. And that's so much of kind of what life is about, right? You can make excuses, you can get lucky, little things can happen, just like in, in most sports and most games. But at the end of the day, usually the best kind of shows itself and the real, you know, um, you know, the, the real stuff, the real, the real winners rise to the top, if you will. Mm-hmm. And when did you have the vision to start Guardian? What moment did you really have the spark? So it was, it was a confluence of factors. You know, I'd, I'd had the idea for a little while because I was doing the Big Brothers Big Sisters program mm-hmm. when I moved to Oakland. And I, I thought when I was doing the program how great the natural or the mentorship was, I should say, with my little brother and how he really desperately needed someone like me, a father figure in his life, to hang out with him and give him some guidance. But I also felt that it was extremely difficult program in the sense that, you know, if you're a working professional and you work five days a week and then someone wants you to spend, let's say, eight hours with them on a Sunday um, and you don't have a common bond where you actually want to do the same thing naturally, it becomes sort of a difficult task to commit to all the time. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if my little brother wanted to do jujitsu or do boxing, Mm -hmm. wanted to hang out at the gym, we could meet there, we could train together, we could talk about it. And I really thought that that was the kind of the part that was missing. And so that was one reason. And then another thing that happened is I was talking to one of my friends who was a blue belt in jujitsu at the time. And he uh, had two twin five-year-old daughters. And I asked him when he was going to get his five-year-old daughters into class. And he said that he, that they couldn't afford it. Mm. And I thought that was kind of strange because his wife had a good job at the University of California, Berkeley. He was a pretty successful construction worker. And I just, it kind of dawned on me that, you know, even middle-class families oftentimes don't have an extra hundred or $150 a month to put a child into these after-school programs because they're already paying for other ones and they have music classes and they have rent to pay and they have bills to pay. And it's, it's a lot of money, especially when you have more than one child. So when that happened, I kind of knew like, okay, I've got to really do something about this because there's just too many kids, maybe it's 70, 80, 90% that don't have parents who can afford these type of programs for them after school. And we have to, we have to do something to change that. And what year was that? That you had the spark, not when you started, but when you start cooking in your head, the idea. Started cooking probably about five years ago. Um, And then I kind of mulled over the idea a lot in my head, like most things when you're working another job. And I'm sure most of your listeners feel this way. They're just trying to keep their head above water because they're traveling for work. They're raising a family. They're continuing their relationships with their friends. They're getting their training in, whatever it might be for themselves. It's very difficult. It's easy to put off, I should say, a a side project. Mm -hmm. And 
I happened to be on a flight one day when I was working at Twitter to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And one of the guys on the flight with me was one of the head marketing executives at Twitter. And I shared with him my idea and what I was going to, you know, what I really wanted to do. And it turned out that he actually had a passion for boxing. And so he came back to me about a month after that conversation and said, Hey, like, I really love your idea. Um, would you be interested in having a partner and someone to kind of start this up with you? And I kind of thought he was joking at first, right? And, uh, but he was serious. And, you know, because I got a partner, and his name is Joel Lundenfeld, by the way, um, because Joel decided to, to do this with me, that gave me the motivation to not mm. let it drop. Because then I was letting someone else down versus just, I couldn't just put things off till the next week, the next month, the next year, I had to move forward with the idea I felt. And the fact that we were coworkers, it would have been, I felt like extra embarrassing to let him down because it wasn't just like some friend that I knew from home or something like that. But it was a guy I was going to have to see every day at work. And in fact, a guy who was a much higher position than me at the company at the time. So, you know, those factors I think really helped motivate me. And I like you mentioned that because I want to bring you back to how was the mindset when you had the spark because we have a lot of listeners we do have entrepreneurs we have a lot of people who are in transition and they do have ideas to do sometimes even nonprofit related or not to start a business to change careers and oftentimes fears and doubts they pop up and sometimes people get overwhelmed and they don't take the action on something that they really want and desire and you did we were able to pull the trigger so how did you deal with the fears and doubts how was that process yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. I definitely had a lot of those doubts at the beginning. I never ran a nonprofit, never ran a gym. So those two things were totally foreign to me. Um, I guess I do have a, a fair degree of confidence, you know, that I can figure things out. I'm mm -hmm. not the brightest guy in any one world, you know, any one area. I'm not an expert engineer, an expert, you know, writer or anything like that. But I feel like I have sort of decent proficiency in a lot of areas, enough where I felt confident that I could at least get started. But what really changed um, my life and took my confidence to the next level was when I started dating my then girlfriend, now wife, Kelly. And Kelly was the chief of staff at Twitter. She worked kind of hand in hand with the uh, old CEO of Twitter, a guy named Dick Costello. And she was kind of there for most of the, the journey of, of building Guardian. Mm -hmm. And what she would tell me is she would read my emails and she would hear my conversations and she would tell me that I was smarter than anyone that she worked with. And she would tell me that, you know, she worked with all these, all the big name executives, people that, you know, you, you would re recognize their names that run these big tech companies. And she's like, you know, your emails, you're the way you motivate people, your ideas, they're clearer, they're smarter. Like you could easily run one of these companies if you wanted to. And it was her sort of breaking down that, that mystique from, for me, which was like these people that maybe made $500 million running their tech company they're not smarter than you, right? They just were maybe in the right place at the right time. They got a few lucky breaks. Mm -hmm. Sure, there are, a lot of them are very smart. And I don't want to take anything away, but she sort of made me feel like I was not um, behind them as far as you know my aptitude and my mm -hmm. ideas. And that confidence, I think, really made me feel good and feel like I'm not missing anything. And I think that's something that a lot of listeners can probably take away is that they're all those people are dealing with the same problems. They, they're not like, there's not some magic pill that these folks have that started these companies or who have made a lot of money. Most of them are just very like normal people who, yeah, they're smart in certain things in certain areas, but they're not like these, they're not 
they're not that special, right? You could do what they do. And that, that, that really was a changer for me. Yeah, and that's awesome because there's actually sometimes with the, the guests we talk about some of the books and thinking grow rich from Napoleon Hill for the listeners maybe never had a chance to maybe read is a great book, and he talks about the first step towards riches is that burning desire, and that's what gave you the strength. That's the core of everything, the burning desire that you had to make it happen, and that trump any fear, doubt, or anything that. Mm. If you don't have that burn, burning desire, when things get rough, people crack and they stop and they don't do it anymore. So props for having that burning desire and still have, because of course, especially with you guys expanding, a lot of difficulties are going to show up. And again, the burning desire is going to help you to get there. So all the listeners, make sure you pay attention to that burning desire inside of you. There is a reason why. Now it's up to you if you want to execute on that. Now, talking a little bit more about the entrepreneurship, especially for people who are, again, in transition, they're new. What are some of the difficulties that maybe you had in the past in the beginning and you see a lot of people struggling right now, some of the entrepreneurs? What did you say in an area that you'd like to share some content? Well, I think there's there's a lot of things, obviously, that I still struggle with, and I haven't mastered mm-hmm. any any anything. It's a process, right? It's a process. Yeah, yeah, and I make a lot of mistakes every day. I think that's another thing too to point out that you know you're not necessarily looking for perfection. You don't have to. You're never going to be perfect, right? I mean, even the best entrepreneurs in the world aren't perfect, and their days don't go perfect. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that always strikes me is that once you get busier, once you get more important, if you will, once you have more employees or contractors or staff, whoever it is reporting to you, where you have to make a lot of final decisions, I think that your time starts to really shrink. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eight hours in the day or 10 hours in the day to work all of a sudden, especially when you're someone like me or like you who wants to train and do other things too, um, you have to be really careful, you know, uh, and uh, having coffee with someone for an hour can all of a sudden, it's not really an hour, right? That might be an hour for coffee, but it takes 15 minutes to get there and 15 minutes after. And then you were in the middle of doing something and you got dislodged from something really important that you were working on. And all of a sudden, by agreeing to do that coffee meeting, you know, maybe that was really two or two and a half hours out of your day. And um, I just think that you have to stay really, really focused. And that's one of the things that we struggle with the most here in terms of as an organization, everyone comes with ideas and a lot of times almost always well-intentioned, but you know, you have to, I think as someone running an organization or starting a business, you have to be very, very streamlined and clear on, okay, like we could do a thousand things, but here's the three things we're going to do really, really well. And at the beginning, that's just crucial, right? And you see all these businesses that started very simple. And then they grew later when the time was right, when it made sense. Google's a perfect example, right? The simple search bar, the one page, you know, Google didn't have self-driving cars and they didn't have all this crazy stuff from when they started, right? It took a long time to get there. And, you know, with us, it's things like um, starting uh, new programs, like, hey, you guys should start a capoeira program. Hey, a karate program. Why don't we have this extra class here? Hey, do you ever think about partnering with this organization? And it's like, we're still in the point where we need to focus as an organization. And I'm still in the point where I have to, you know, get better and continue to say no to things that come up. Because if I don't, then all the time gets sort of sucked away. 
Um, meaning like I start spending all my time, you know, reactively reacting to everyone who's asking me for stuff instead of the proactive things that I need to work on to push this organization forward. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I feel that it's important for the listeners, the entrepreneurs, self-awareness is huge. Self-awareness that I'm saying, watch your patterns. If you have the pattern of pleasing people, be watch it because otherwise you're going to say yes to everyone yes to every meeting yes to every idea and stay grounded and like i said and no you have to learn how to say no i know this is tough for a lot of people i struggled through that over the years i got a lot better you know that not everyone's going to be happy with your no but you have to practice to say no as well and what was so far the biggest entrepreneurial struggle so you can mention to me even related to guardian putting together or your other business ventures as well something that helped helped you in your journey and it can inspire people yeah i mean i don't know if it's inspirational necessarily mm -hmm. but i invested in a marijuana accessories startup mm -hmm. um, a number of years ago that's run by one of my friends and he's, his name's uh, Davis Kianaga. It's called Meister, M-Y-S-T-E-R. Really cool products, really, you know, amazing um, brain that this guy has and really creative. But uh, one of the things that I realized after investing in that company was that you, your coolness uh, factor and um, your marketing and your branding, as important as it is, it can only take you so far when you run any business, no matter how sexy the business is, you have to do the nuts and bolts things. And, you know, you have to be dialed in with your website and with your marketing and your funnels and all the different things that you do. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in the, in the sexy. Like I talk to a lot of people who, um, they really, their focus, like their first questions are like, I'm struggling to name my company or what title should I have? Or, um, you know, just like these you. questions where you're like, those aren't the important questions right now, right? The questions are like, how are you going to acquire customers and how are you going to nurture those customers? What's your business model going to look like? And so you can back into all those other things later. And so I really learned a lot from that company that like, no matter how much you don't like necessarily doing those things, they have to be done and there's no way around it. And even like the sexiest businesses in the world, like the Nikes and the Beats by Dre and the Apples, like they're doing all of that stuff really well behind the scenes to collect their customer data and market and remarket and upsell and do all those things. So that's one, that's definitely one struggle that I had. And one reason why I think that company didn't become, you know, a hundred million dollar company, which it could have is because those nuts and bolts things were not being done. Mm -hmm. So, cause I was going to ask, you know, what lesson did you learn from this experience? And do you feel that you improved a lot in, uh, with Guardian using that experience to now some of the things that you notice based on that experience that you were able to implement? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we do a perfect job at it yeah. by, any, by any means, but we are, um, I, I think that the way that I would phrase that maybe a little better is that you will have to do all those things at some point of your business and setting it up correctly up front is a lot easier. Like all the things that I didn't set up correctly with Guardian up front, we're now going back and sort of implementing and it takes longer and mm -hmm. it's harder and there's Know, potential losses of data and things because you have to implement a new system. Whereas if you do it right from the beginning, it may only be an hour setup or something, but by taking the time to do that, you avoid 50 hours of time later on down the road. Yeah. If you, if you building, putting together a building, the foundation better be 
line up everything that needs to be it's gonna help how the building is gonna go up straight and if not it's gonna the building is gonna start getting kind of sideways so the foundation basically needs to be uh, taking care of it and what is what is a one high performance habit i would just say that you have that it helped in jujitsu in your professional life and everything something that you do daily yeah, I mean, for me, the, the biggest thing is, you know, recognizing where I do the best work in the day. So I do the best work uh, in the mornings mm-hmm. and I become a bit of a waste, you know, at three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock on. And so for me, uh, being really honest with myself, like today we're doing this at 10 a.m. Um, this is a bit of an anomaly for me. Typically, I wouldn't schedule any meetings until the afternoon mm-hmm. because I want to use this time to get all of my most important you know, high productive work done, the research, the writing, the, you know, things that need kind of my full attention. And Mm -hmm. then things like, you know, having coffee with a friend could easily happen later when I'm not as mentally sharp. So, you know, I know everyone has a different schedule and kind of works better. uh, Their their mind works differently. They get tired at different times of the day. But for me, it's trying to get that work done because not only do I do a better job at it, but then I feel better all day versus if I if I uh, don't do that work in the morning, three or four o'clock rolls around and I feel like I, I owe myself that work to do. And now I'm doing that work when I'm tired and I'm struggling. And so I think that's the, the biggest thing for me is like, don't schedule things in the morning that are not important or moving the business forward. Use that time to move things forward and then use the other time for kind of the second tier activities, if you will. Yeah. And this is great because that self-awareness come back in to see like how do you function better know yourself better you know sometimes try to force something daily that like man i do a better job in a different way you know so knowing knowing yourself in that way how you are more productive it's super efficient now if you have to say what is the best advice that you ever received that applies in anything basically in your life yeah, I mean, I've I've got a, a lot of um, <laughs> of good stuff, but I think I would go back to the example that I gave with my now wife earlier, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, stop putting everyone else on a pedestal and stop looking at these people on Instagram with perfect lives. Stop looking at these executives that have made so much money, and you know, they're not different than you. And um, you know, don't be intimidated to start something. Don't be intimidated to go for it or ask for something because you're not. You don't feel like your pedigree is there if that makes sense. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, just, just like you are equal and everyone's struggling with certain problems. So don't, don't think that like you didn't get the special sauce. Yeah. Especially nowadays with social media, man, like exactly what you said, people looking, man, this guy started, you know, after I did, and he's already have this here and he has already has so many followers of this and that, man, <laughs> As long as you're authentic to your desire, you have the burning desire that we talk about it. You starting from there and everyone got their own journey, you know, and some people maybe reach faster to whatever their goals are. You know, you cannot, people cannot compare themselves with this. So this is so, so important. And now, I mean, kind of, kind of along that line, I mean, I don't want to hijack your next question, but I feel like there's a couple ways you can live your life, right? You can go out and you can make, make a bunch of money in the corporate world or start a business or whatever it is. And then you can pursue your passion project later. What I did was a little bit of a different journey, right? I never made the 10, $20 million in the the tech world and paid off my house and lived on the beach for the year and then decided, okay, I got to do something. I just decided as soon as I had sort of that little window where I had enough 
to bridge the gap that I was going to go for what I really wanted because I saw these people that had that other life, right? And they always like wanted to give back, but they would just sort of do the bare minimum. They'd give a little bit of money to charity or whatever for their tax relief, but they didn't ever like really find their passion. They didn't really ever like take it to, they didn't go all in on something, if you will. And um, I think that's like the other thing was we talk about all this stuff is like, there is never going to be that right moment. Just like when you have a baby, it's never the right time to have a kid. There's always something in your life that's going to be, you know, make it, make it more difficult, but you, you know, you have to at some point do it if, if you want to do it. And um, it's the same thing with, you know, starting the nonprofit, right? Like there's not that magical time. And I would, I would really encourage people to like do it sooner rather than put it off till they're retired or until they hit some magical mark of money because that is those people often just never do it right they never do it you got to do it while you're while you've got the fire in your belly while the time is right when you're ready to go and not wait for kind of the magic day to happen yeah we had you just mentioned like basically the content of two episodes that we already have with john thomas and robert drysdale um, we're talking about just the time is now you know we want to do the time is now and also too is your perception of success. You know, people have different meanings of the word success. You know, sometimes people still have the perception that success, maybe for some people could be, yes, I work in a, in a corporate world, even though I absolutely hate, but I have this and this. Yeah, you may have the financial success, but it's all about how people decide to choose, you know, their definition of success. You know, so it's awesome that your definition was basically what it said. This, this is success for you. I'm doing what I want that in, and I'm so on board with this. I always do my best to inspire people to be authentic to your desire. I always like to bring this up because I feel I like to see authenticity from level to zero to a hundred. Maybe I'm never going to reach a hundred, but I'm going to shoot all the way up as high as I can. When I say that is because if you ask someone, are you authentic? Someone's going to say, hell yeah, I'm authentic. I wear, you know, whatever I want. I say anything I want. Like, now you're authentic to your desires. Do you do everything mm. that you feel that you want to do? Well, now, uh, okay. So what you can do is start to raise the level of authenticity. I'm not expecting you to jump from, you know, maybe it's a 20 to 100, whatever number you want to give to your level, but I like to always look at this way. I question myself, am I being authentic, authentic to my desires? If I say no, why? Is there a fear? What kind of fear? Why is preventing me? I'm afraid to get judged. So now I'm not going to be authentic to my desire because I'm afraid of someone is going to judge me, what I'm going to do. So it's very important for all the listeners to keep this in mind. Are you being authentic to your desire? If you're not, that's okay. You don't have to be like, in any mode of self-judgment, but more in a self-compassion to yourself that that's okay. You know, some people expect this of me, that's on them. That's their issue is not mine. This is what I want to do. And then you start building on this authenticity. So uh, um, that's why I'm so excited to have you here because I, since I, you know, I listened to you three years ago, I know that, you know, you're in a big company before all that stuff. But still like, nah, man, this, you know, you being authentic to your desire, you know what I mean? And that's, uh, that's the idea of the podcast, inspire people to be authentic to their desires. So it's whatever perception of success they have, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, great concept and great points. Uh, now, what advice would you give to the young Ben? Let's say when you started Guardian. 
that maybe it's not that long ago, right? But if you could just, you could give him, you go there and have a conversation with him, like, hey, dude, real quick, just keep this here in mind. You know, something that you lived in this short period of uh, guarding. Well, let me let me back up a little farther than that mm -hmm. first. Um, so, you know, I came from a pretty, like, humble family, very middle class. Um, and my parents both worked super hard. And when I graduated college, I felt that I just basically needed to get a job. I needed to make money. Um, and the mistake that I made is I never really pursued any sort of passion that I had. And when I was younger, I didn't need the money necessarily as much um, because, you know, you don't have when you're 22 and you graduate college, let's say you don't have all of those same uh, responsibilities that you have when you're 36 and you have children, right? Yep. So I wish someone would have kind of taken me aside back then and said, hey, like this is the perfect time for you to not worry about, you know, making that extra 20% a year on your paycheck and worry about like getting into the company that you want to get into, getting into the industry you want to get into, pursuing your passion. And I feel like in some ways I wasted 10 years of a career mm -hmm. just kind of doing things for a paycheck when I could have really used that time. And it just gets harder and harder as you get older and your financial responsibilities for most people go up. So that's the advice I wish I would have gotten when I was 22. You know, when I st started Guardian, when we started Guardian, uh, let's say four years ago now at this point. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I just think that we, we had to, we did it the only way we could. And mm -hmm. as far as putting one foot in front of each, uh, in front of the other one step at a time, you know, the, the positive that we did was that we didn't listen to the advice that it was about grants and it was about all of those type of things for fundraising. I had this sneaking suspicion that it was going to be very difficult to get money as a lot of these larger nonprofits do, mm -hmm. you know, you're new on the scene. You don't have relationships. If you haven't worked in the nonprofit world before the nonprofit world is incredibly incestuous in a way, like they give money to the people that they know, the people they trust, the people they've worked with before, the people who have scratched their back. And when you're sort of an outsider coming from that, not that world, it's hard to get it right. And so we built this financial model with private donations and adult memberships, and if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have lasted. Yeah, and true. so I know you're asking what the challenge was, but I think, you know, I felt a lot more challenges for more when I was younger. We actually, in some ways, although of course not perfect, we did the, the really hard but right decisions of sort of how we designed the financial model for Guardian because to this day, we still never received one single grant one dollar of city funding, one dollar wow. of state funding, one dollar of federal funding. It is so challenging to get that money that if we didn't build it this way, we would be bankrupt, you know, two years ago. And basically for the listeners, what Ben said is he did the best he could with what he knew, with the tools and knowledge that he had at that moment. And he keeps doing that. And that's for the listeners too. You starting something and man, when I get like, do the best you can, the tools and knowledge you have right now. And along the way, you're going to grow in the process. So that's, uh, that's great that you said that. Now, I don't know if you have the habit of reading, but if you do, what would you say is the most impactful book that you've ever read? And I like to ask this because sometimes it's, it's the moment that we're reading the book. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you can read a book three years ago and some of the things just like 
didn't even click. And then three years later, like, oh my God, is this the same book? You know, this didn't make any sense to me three years ago. So sometimes it depends when you're reading. Oftentimes it could be one of the first books that we read, but what is one that made a big impact on you? <laughs> you're probably going to hate me for this answer because it's not at all in sort of the realm of, of what your podcast is focused, focused on. But I find I have a, a habit of listening to so many podcasts mm -hmm. and getting so much sort of like overload on the type of content, which is about, you know, your self-help and business and yeah. entrepreneurship and all that stuff. And so when I read now, I really focus on the exact opposite. I like reading complete fiction, um, stuff that's whimsical, that's fun. And the author that I like the most is this guy named Tom Robbins. I don't know if okay. you're familiar with mm -hmm. him. Yeah, I've heard him. I don't know much his work, but I've heard, yeah. Uh, my friend Daniele Bolelli, who has the Drunken Taoist podcast, he's on uh, Joe Rogan a lot. A lot of people know him from there, an Italian philosopher and um, religious scholar. He recommended a number of years ago Tom Robbins to me when I was asking him for some books to read. Mm -hmm. And he said his writing style was you know, the most interesting, the most fun, the most whimsical. And it's amazing, like the creativity that this guy writes with. And, you know, when I'm reading, especially for before bed and I want to yes. kind of use it as a, a sleeping pill to fall asleep and not be looking at my TV, computer screen, phone, whatever it is. I just find that for me now with that, I get all of that content from podcasts mm -hmm. and from YouTube and these different channels that I really want to read more for fun and for sort of the creativity part of it. Yeah. And it's cool that one time I was listening to Tim Ferriss and he was saying that I don't know if he still practice this. But he's saying that he never reads any personal development or anything at night. He only reads fiction at night. Exactly mm. for exactly what he said. Because I said, if I put something that gives me too many ideas, I'm up. Now my brain is spinning. You know what I mean? So he said, I'd rather just have the fiction. I personally don't like reading, reading per se. I like audio books. So I love audios, podcasts, YouTube. So I'm really into media as well the same way. But I do enjoy audiobooks. But yeah, that's so fun. And just having the hab habit of reading and expanding with something different, I think it's a great combination. It's a great suggestion for people at home too. And now just share with us what you're excited about. What's going on? What's going on with Guardian? You know, I... Um I think for us, the, the goal is very simple, right? We have our, our first space. It's a small 1,600 square foot or so space. Really, really cool, really beautiful. And I had a um, chance to visit a week ago, and it's really cool. Thank you. And I'm so glad you made it out. Um, but we're running out of space. We have mm -hmm. about 160 kids. We have 250 or so paying adult members. We have another 20, 30, 40 adults who are on scholarship which by the way is, you know, a big point to our program, right? It's not just for the kids. It's an affordable way for adults to be able to train Brazilian jiu-jitsu and boxing because there's so many people who don't have access to, you know, the financial means to pay for these, these programs. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, they help so many people, not just kids. So we're running out of space. So we're building a second location. Well, instead of just having a 1600 square foot space, we're going to have about 8,800 square feet. 
And as you mentioned, I think in the intro, you know, we're going to have a boxing ring. We're going to have about four times the mat space. We're going to go from one shower to four showers. We're going to have bike racks. We're going to have a classroom for the kids to be able to actually not only get help with their tutoring, but the kids are going to actually be able to take classes from people like you all over the world as we pipe it in through the AV system and they can get motivational speeches. They can learn about cryptocurrency. They can learn about nutrition. And then we have a, a picnic area out back where people can grill a healthy meal after class and sit at, sit at picnic tables. I mean, you've trained before and oftentimes, you know, you train and then you're kind of ushered out of the gym because the next class is starting, you know, sitting outside in the sun and having a nice cold glass of water with a healthy meal. I mean, that's like heaven right after training. So what we're doing really is we're taking, we're using martial arts as a gateway to get people, specifically kids, into our space join over sort of that common bond of whatever their sport is, but then we're educating them, helping them improve, you know, everything kind of with their mental approach to life. And then also making sure that they're physically healthy with the right food. Because if you only have the training and you're lacking those other two parts, you're not going to make it as far in life as you could. You're not going to be as, as overall healthy. So again, that, that gateway, that effect of sort of doing all those things is what makes our program in my mind so powerful. And we're only able to do that to a certain extent now because of our space limitations, our um, size constraints of our classes, the, the fact that we can only run one class at a time. Mm-hmm. So once we have this new space, we're going to be able to take what we do and, and really 10 exit. And that's not even an exaggeration. Nice. And one thing I wanted to see if you can share with us, of course, there's so many wonderful stories of kids, uh, young adults, that how the impact that jujitsu and boxing have made in their lives and garden has made. What are some that stood out for you that is like full transformation? You're like, oh, my God, look at this kid. You know, I'd love to hear some of the examples or one, you know, that you feel that it's that meant, you know, so much for you. There's so many, uh, honestly, in just a few years, but one that really I think everyone can understand is that we had a conversation recently with a guidance counselor of a student who had just turned 18, Mm -hmm. and um, the student gave permission to, you know, share this, so this isn't confidential, but the guidance counselor was going to commit that student to a hospital or to get help because he had suicidal tendencies and did not feel stable, and over time, as she worked with the student, she realized that the gym was having such a profound impact on his life. Most importantly, not only his training, but that he was supported by a group of nurturing Mm -hmm. mentors that cared about him. And the gym had such a positive impact that she decided just because of the gym and the gym only that she wasn't going to, to put him into help, which could have really changed his life in a negative way. And so instead he graduated, he's now going to college. And, you know, she basically said, there needs to be more guardians, not just, you know, guardians in the sense of boxing and jujitsu, but just programs like guardian where kids can go and find that natural mentorship and they can get through the hard times in their life and they can connect with mentors and stuff like that. So that's, uh, I think one very tangible story of, you know, again, the idea that we're not just using martial arts, uh, to, you know, train kids on how to win tournaments. We're training them on basically, we're giving them a community, a positive community, most of our kids come from single family households, minority households, first generation immigrant households, things like that, where they really don't have a lot of times, um, you know, that support system around them, people that they can go to and ask for, for college help, that they can ask for, for help with their school, that they can go to for advice. So having that network is just so powerful. Awesome. And just let the, 
listeners know getting to the coming close to the end of the interview so make sure that you stick around for my final thoughts after the interview and i'd like you to just leave a message say how people can donate support the program and you're free to any any yeah. shout out that you want uh, i want to say one other thing because uh, you know i often f forget to mention this but mm -hmm. you know soon after i started guardian i got a guy who reached out to me who wanted to start his own nonprofit martial arts gym. And his name was, is Sasha Feynman. And uh, Sasha came to me when I was still working at Twitter and he said, I want to do this, you know, I want to help out. And I thought, you know, this guy, I don't know if he's looking for a job or what he wants, but the truth is Sasha not only joined um, Guardian, but he's basically become my partner, you know, day to day and running the gym. And without him, the gym would not be nearly as successful as it is our community, our depth of uh, folks. He's put a tremendous amount of time in. He it's works. A team. A yes. Yeah. A team effort. You know, he works basically, you know, completely for free, like does this all because he just cares, you know, about the people so much, the kids so much. And, um, you know, anybody who wants to do this, like finding, um, there's two types of partners, right? Like Joel was the partner who helped get this going, who helped with a lot of the funding, who helped with, you know, the early marketing and branding and still continues to kind of help behind the scenes. But then there's also like the day-to-day -day people, right? There's like, who's going to actually be there to help run the gym. And, you know, when an instructor calls off, mm -hmm. who's going to cover their class and who's going to deal with the class schedule and who's going to take the kids to dinner and understand what's really going on in their lives. And Sasha has just done an amazing job, uh, you know, doing all of those things. And without him, I can't even imagine where we would be today. And I often forget to, you know, mention that when I'm doing these type of interviews. And I just think that he deserves that credit. Awesome, man. So how can people donate know more about Guardian? Our website's guardiangym.org. You can see a lot of information there, third-party articles, things like that. Um, our Venmo is one of the easiest ways to donate. So Venmo is just at Guardian Gym, which is the same as our Instagram handle and our Twitter handle. So a very easy way if someone wants to send a quick donation there. On our website, you can set up monthly recurring donations or do one-time donations. We have a donate page there. The cool thing about what we're doing is that all of our money, because of our adult memberships, cover all of our administrative mm -hmm. costs and our overhead. Every dollar that we come in comes in goes directly to our programs so that means it either goes right into the kids programs like feeding the kids buying them geese paying for a tournament entry paying for their classes or it goes to um, building out our new space which is a capital campaign that will last for decades to come mm -hmm. so i think a lot of people like me you know you're like i work hard for my money i'm working at a company i'm working 50 hours a week the last thing i want to do is donate to a nonprofit that's going to take 50 percent or 60 percent or 20 percent even of my money and just kind of squander it on stuff that's not program related and so i think we give people there are you know potential donors out there a really nice opportunity to actually see their dollars work hard for them and go directly into the programs that they want to support that is awesome and it was awesome to have you here and as i mentioned i contacted you three years ago for the listeners guys you know that i uh, i have the nonprofit organization live jiu-jitsu and now we we structuring and in a great way for the next few years and there we have three projects there in our and in our radar right now and Guardian's actually the number one involved in this. And we're talking about the program, about some of the kids. We can even talk a little bit about the kids, how we're giving the, the work opportunity for them to get their like pocket money sort of, you know, and that's where Live Jiu-Jitsu now we're getting situated to help with that. If you could mention about this real quick to this idea, which is awesome. Yeah, you know, after interviewing a lot of the kids, I realized that um, 
most of our kids who are, let's say, between the ages of 15 and 18, they really struggle to get jobs. They really um, are struggling for what one of them called pocket change money, meaning that they don't have a dollar to get on the bus or $5 to get a hamburger or a slice of pizza after they train. And it's cause, it's not only, of course, the obvious that they can't get on the bus or can't eat, but it's sort of the confidence factor yeah. that then goes into their life, right? Where they feel like they're begging. More freedom people. too, you know? Yeah, of, of course, they're not learning financial responsibility or anything like that is kind of a higher level thing, but they, you can just see it sort of beats them down. And when you take somebody who wants to work, but they have no opportunity to work, as you see in many countries around the world with high unemployment rates, it just doesn't make a young person, especially a young man, feel good. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're launching a program, which is about to start where we're actually you know, one of my things was always when the kids would come and ask for jobs, I'd say, well, we, you know, we only have so much space in the gym. We only have so many things to clean and organize and so many people that can work the front desk-ish area. Um, but then what I realized is our in entire city needs help, right? Our entire city has streets that just have piles of trash, you know, s stacking up on them. And so we're going to start with the area where we are opening our second location and we're going to give our kids jobs to actually go out and clean the street, mm -hmm. clean the buildings, start to, you know, give back to the community. Because in at the end of the day, like that's what this is all about. It's more than martial arts. It's about changing the entire fabric of a city, right? Uniting a city through a common bond and, you know, giving people that work ethic that what they're learning on the mats and taking it off the mats and giving these kids um, a sense of purpose and making them feel good about themselves that if they want to work, they can work. And it's the same thing as the gym. Like we're not forcing kids to come in here and train, but if a kid wants to train, we're not going to let financial barriers or financial abilities be the barrier to training. So we shouldn't let a kid who wants to work and wants to work hard and is willing to pick up trash on the street, not have a job, right? We need to make, we need to basically open up the gateways for people who want to work hard to be able to do so. Yeah, that's incredible, man. So one more time, and thank you so much for taking your time to share with us your experience and you do a wonderful man job and keep it up you and your team do an amazing job and you're always welcome to come back and when you have the second location we'll bring you back to you know talk more about it thank you man i really appreciate that and uh you know i think you really separated yourself even three years ago when we first started meeting i knew that you were a, a real guy because um so many people reached out and said hey congratulations or what can i do to help but i think you were one of the few people that just like sent us money you just sent us money you didn't know me you know you heard about what we were doing you saw our video we were still i don't think we had our doors open and i think you know that shows a lot right like there's a lot of people that say they want to help but when someone actually does help like you did that's that 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 means that person you know understands understands it and wanted to really make a difference and you did that so thank you awesome so for all the listeners stick around for the final thoughts Who's now let me share my final thoughts with you from the interview with ben kovacs as you already know ben is the co-founder of the nonprofit organization guardian gym which, as I mentioned during the interview, I had the opportunity to visit in Oakland, California a few weeks ago, met two instructors, Caleb and Calder, and they were running the BJJ class, and they're doing a great job. Big props to the whole team of the Guardian Gym. I'm not sure what was your takeaway from the interview, but mine was the advice that Ben's wife, Kelly, gave to him while he was working for Twitter. She said, don't put anyone on the pedestal. You're not different than any of the big shots around here. They're not special. They are all human beings just like you. 
Have you ever compared yourself to others that have accomplished more than you at some point of your life? Dude, personally, I can say yes, I did. At some point in my life, just like Ben, I had compared myself with others, put others on a pedestal, which held me back big time in my life. So if you have been comparing yourself way too much with others, I'd like to share with you good news and bad news. Maybe you can say, nah, I don't compare myself with others. It's okay. Maybe you can send this message to someone that you love and care who struggles with this. So the bad news is that there is no magic pill that will make you special like Ben said. Now, the good news is that you can learn how to control this pattern of feeling that you're not good enough so you can live the fulfilling life that you deserve and desire. And there are three key ingredients to help you with the process of overcoming and controlling this pattern. And the first one is self-awareness. Let me ask you this. Do you think about what you think about? Think about that. Psychologists say that we have over 50,000 thoughts per day. Some say that it's even more than that. And 70 to 80% of these thoughts are negative. We don't even realize how often we judge and criticize others, but especially how often we judge and criticize our own selves with thoughts like, are you good enough? What makes you think that you can accomplish this goal? Do you realize how much more skilled and knowledgeable those people are? And the list of the questions from your dark passenger goes on and on. You might be asking, Gustavo, who is the dark passenger? Anyone who have watched the series, Dexter knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's that negative voice that lives in your head. You can call it dark passenger, the devil, whatever you want, but the truth is, is the negative voice that lives in your head and you created this voice. Since you're a little child, let me tell you this, the most impactful book that I've ever read in my life is Psycho-Cybernetics from Maxwell Maltz from the 60s. He says in a book, every one of us acts, feels, and behaves in a way that is consistent with our self-image, regardless of the reality of that image. And as Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And I'm going to share with you an extremely important paragraph from Psycho-Cybernetics, which, matter of fact, this book is the core of the BJJ Mental Coach. And here's what Malt said. Whether we realize it or not, each of us carries a mental blueprint or picture of ourselves. It may be vague and ill-defined to our conscious gaze. In fact, it may not be consciously recognizable at all, but is there, complete down to the last detail. The self-image is our conception of the sort of person I am, in quotations. It has been built up from our own beliefs about ourselves. But most of these beliefs have been formed from our past experiences, our successes, and our failures, and the way people have reacted to us. Once an idea or belief about ourselves go into this picture, it becomes true, in quotations, as far as we're personally concerned. We do not question its validity, but proceed to act upon it just as if it's true. Now, here is the crucial point of today's final thoughts. Here's what Malt said. It's our self-image that prescribes our limits. And achieving a positive self-image, the life instinct, Rather than the destructive instinct, it's within the capability of every man, woman, or child. 
The great news is that you can reprogram your brain, reprogram your mental blueprint like Ben did, and it starts with self-awareness. This is the first ingredient. His wife, Kelly, helped him with his self-awareness. She brought to his attention and said, hey, they are not special. You are very smart. You are good enough. He listened and he used the second ingredient, which is self-regulation. Self-regulation is the ability to monitor and control your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And of course, it starts with self-awareness. Here's the thing. Have you ever had a very annoying and negative roommate? If you did, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But regardless if you had or not, you need to accept that your dark passenger is going to be your roommate in your head for the rest of your life. Negative patterns don't disappear. However, you can learn how to control them. How? Being self-aware of these negative patterns, then self-monitoring your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and re-evaluating the negative beliefs that are causing you to behave this way. Then you use the third ingredient, which is making a decision. After you reevaluate the belief and you realize that this belief doesn't serve you anymore, you need to make a decision. Are you going to stick with the belief that is holding you back and or moving you away from your goal? Or are you going to choose the belief that is going to help you to get one step closer of becoming the most authentic version of yourself? For example, the first time I ever competed in jiu-jitsu when I was a teenager, I was super excited, right? I didn't know what to expect, but I was excited telling all my friends and everything. However, I got my butt kicked twice in the same day. By the second time I went competing, I was anxious because I thought, dude, the last time I got murdered, so I don't want to lose it again. I have to win. So I went to the tournament anxious, and I lost my first match again. I didn't get killed. It doesn't matter, but... I lost, and I was pressuring myself. Then I lost again, and again, and again. So I realized that it took me a little bit to warm up and loosen up on a match because of this anxiety. So what did I do? I created a negative self-label. I said, oh, man, I'm a slow starter. It takes me a while to warm up in a match. Then guess what? Like Max Womalt said, every one of us acts, feels, and behaves in a way that is consistent with our self-image regardless of the reality of that image. I created a story in my mind, and I acted just like it. If it wasn't enough, I started to share with my teammates, like, yeah, man, I'm a slow starter. So next thing, I'm telling them about a tournament experience, for example. And I say, yeah, man, it took me a little bit to warm up during the match. And then they say, yeah, but you're a slow starter. I say, yeah, exactly, I'm a slow starter. So when I started to study mental coaching, I started to reevaluate this belief and ask myself, am I predisposed to be a slow starter? Did God or the universe or higher power said, Gustavo, my friend, you are a slow starter. There's nothing that you can do. And I said, no, chega. That means enough in Portuguese. I can't be a fast starter. I became aware of my issue. I reevaluated this belief and realized there was nonsense. And I decided to get rid of this belief, which automatically changed my thought process, my feelings, and my behaviors during my performances. And I started to act, feel, and behave in a way that was consistent with my improved mental blueprint. And you can do it too. 
How many goals and dreams have you given up in your life because you're a dark passenger in your self-limiting beliefs? Maybe self-imposed beliefs like I created or negative beliefs that others impose on you and you didn't even check the validity like Maxwell Maltz said. So it's time for you to say, Chega, enough. Today, choose one self-limiting belief that have been holding you back in your life. Become aware of it reevaluate if this belief is serving you or not and make a decision. Now that you're aware of the issue, are you going to stick with what is holding you back or moving you away from your goal? Or are you going to choose what is going to help you to get one step closer of becoming the most authentic version of yourself? So keep one thing in mind. As Tony Robbins says, it's in your moments of decisions that your destiny is shaped. So make your decision now, O's. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.